I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so if you haven't guessed yet, I would like to talk a little bit about the idea of truth this morning. Um, it's really what God has put on my heart over the last several months. Um, I had an opportunity in October, November, beginning of December to teach a couple of classes <clears throat> at the University of Phoenix um, in comparative religions. And this idea of truth is something that comes up at the beginning of each class. In fact, I show that little video clip at the beginning of the semester. And uh, I would wonder, who do you think of the people that were up there discussing their understanding of truth? Who do you think the students tend to agree with the most? Any, any thoughts? Yeah, they really like the universal Unitarianist, okay, with her cathedral windows and light coming through and all of that. Now, the sad thing is most of my students claim to be Christians. The reality of it is, if there is anything in our society today that there is a definite struggle with, it is the idea of truth. Scripture and our Lord had some very specific things to say about truth. So if you'd like to turn with me to the Gospel of John, we're really only going to scratch the surface today, and that's what we're going to be looking at, is both Jesus' words and also the Apostle John's words. As John reflects back on the life of Jesus, on his miracles, on his death and resurrection, on all of it, and John tries to come to terms with all that has happened and all that God has done through his only begotten son. There were two great cries during the Reformation, two great theological cries um, that Martin Luther proclaimed. The first one was sola fide, which is faith alone, faith in Christ alone, and sola scriptura, which is scripture alone. A few weeks ago, there's a Christian uh, satire website called Babylon Bee, and they posted kind of a fake news article, if you were, and this is what it stated. Progressive evangelical leaders meet to affirm the doctrine of sola feels. Adherents to this imaginary creed believe that things that make us feel bad are wrong. And that the things that give us the happy feels are true, right, and good. Now, this might seem funny, and I think if you look at our culture, you can kind of see where some of this is going. However, it's not simply a joke. Every year, the people that write dictionaries come up with a list of new words. I don't know if you knew that, but a few years ago, for instance, they gave us the word Segway. Segway was simply a little wheel device you rode around on the sidewalk. Now it means to change from one subject to another. Right? It, it got its whole own definition. Well, in November, the Oxford Dictionary released their 2016 word of the year, and that word is post-truth, which they define as relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotional and personal belief. 
Now, if that does not describe our culture today, I don't know what does. And that's probably why they chose it as the word of the year. According to John Stone Street, the concept of post-truth is a bit different from relativism. It doesn't discount the existence of truth. Rather, a post-truth society is one in which truth takes a backseat to emotions, where feelings effectively replace facts. A post-truth culture also leads us to equate disagreement with hatred. Loving me means agreeing with me no matter what I say or believe. The post-truth culture can lead us to ignore reality altogether. And of course, post-truth culture dominates Facebook and Twitter feeds. I can hardly think of a better description of where we are right now as a culture than what Pope Benedict called the dictatorship of relativism. The reality of it is, if you have a conversation with somebody about truth, and you make truth claims, for instance, you claim that the gospel is true, that Jesus was God incarnate, become man, come to earth for us to save man, that is a truth statement. And what it will probably be met with is a statement something like this. Well, if that's true for you, that's good. But that's not my truth. My first point this morning is, I would like to say that there has to be truth. I agree with Kyle, the 13-year-old who said, for the universe to function, there has to be truth. Now, for those of you that know, my daytime job is a science teacher, right? And so we always are examining those things, aren't we? But I'm here to tell you this morning that the idea of truth being challenged is nothing new. Now, we're very willing to accept scientific truths, aren't we? So if I came in this morning and my first announcement to you was that guess what, folks, during the break, I joined the Flat Earth Society. You might shake your heads and say, okay, I'm not sure where that came from because in your mind, there's all kinds of evidence, right, that the Earth is round, right? We, have some, we actually have photographs from outer space. Of course, unless you're a conspiracy theorist, right, and you think those things have been made up and so forth. But we accept scientific truths all of the time. But could it be that there are truths which transcend the physical world? The fact of the matter is, it is these truths that transcend the physical world that answer the most important questions of life. The questions that each and every person must answer. And I'm here today to tell you, just to remind you, I mean, I'm not sure what it is that God wants to do with this in your heart. This is something he's been working in me, not only with my discussions with students, but even in my own home. Questions of truth. How can you say that's true? But we all have to answer these questions. Where do I come from? That is possibly the most important question because where we come from determines how we begin to answer every other important question in life. Secondly, 
Why am I here? What's my purpose? Thirdly, how should I live? How should I live? Should I live based just on my feelings? Is that a really a good way to live? Is that successful? Will that, will that bring me ruin? Or will it bring me happiness? Isn't that the great question of our time? And finally, what happens in the end? What is my destiny? Now, if you'd like to turn to John 18 in chapter Chapter 18, we'll start in verse 33. And the scene is this. This is the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. He is brought before Pontius Pilate to be tried, really for blasphemy, for claiming to be the Son of God. Pilate says to him in verse 35, it was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? And Jesus said to him, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you are right in saying I'm a king in fact. For this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. To which Pilate simply replied, what is truth? In his time... Truth was whatever Caesar said was truth, wasn't it? You see, the people believed Caesar was a god, or at least a demigod, right? And I would suggest to you that throughout the centuries, man has searched for truth in everything. We have searched through truth through learning. We have searched through truth through leaders, especially charismatic leaders who claim to have the truth. We have tried meditation. We have tried religion. And the quest has led the world into evil on a number of occasions. If you look at the past century, it has been this quest for truth, this idea of man creating a utopian society that has led to Nazism, that has led to the murders of Stalin and Mao Zedong. I mean, we could go on and on. The list does go on and on. And so every time man has looked within himself to define truth, we have found failure and evil. And yet the Bible has plenty to say on the subject of truth. In fact, we who call ourselves Christians follow the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, who came into the world to testify to truth, a truth which he told his disciples would set them free. In the Gospel of John, the mystery of the incarnate word unfolds. So if you'd like to turn with me to the beginning of John, John 1, we're going to be looking at the Gospel that Deacon just read a few moments ago. Because I believe in the beginning of the Gospel of John, John begins to spell out exactly how 
Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, John's going to place much emphasis on Jesus not only speaking and acting from a position of truth, but as Jesus being truth itself, against which all truth is measured. And amazingly, in the opening verses of his gospel, John not only answers several of the ultimate questions, but shows that Jesus is, in fact, the author of truth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. For the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. So the beginning proclamation is, this word in the Greek that is called the logos and has more to do with really who God is, a revelation of God, the communication of who God is to the world. That he created everything. That this Jesus is not just a man, but he is God. The very essence of who God, who God's mind is, what he thinks Very God of very God, the creed says. And that he created everything and that nothing was created that was not created by him. And so that answers that first ultimate question, from where do I come? I come from God. Everything that is comes from God, according to John. Everything that is comes from God. And he continues. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world and so we learned that we were not only created by him, the author of life, and that he brings light, which light in scripture is directly tied to the idea of truth. When Jesus came as the light of the world, he came to bring the truth of who God the Father is. He came to reveal to man all that God is and all that God has done. And yet, even at Jesus' coming, John alludes to a conflict between light and truth and darkness and untruth. Because this untruth, this darkness, Scripture tells us that his own did not know him. Or in some translations, did not receive him. Continuing in verse 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. 
And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. For no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, which is at the Father's side, has made him known. For all who believed, they received both grace and truth. But we don't have to go very far to see the conflict. You see, right away, we see a conflict between the understanding that the world has of truth and the truth that God brings. Turn with me to chapter 3. I'm sorry, chapter 10. That's probably even better. And beginning in chapter in verse 37. Now this scene happens, Jesus is out teaching, and it's actually one of the feast days. It's the feast of the dedication. And so he's at the temple, and there's going to be a lot of devout Jews there. They've come there to worship. They've come there to do their duty to keep the religious law. And Jesus begins to speak. He begins to speak about truth and they want to stone him. One of the questions that I've heard a lot in my class is, well, how do we know the Bible is true? Or even someone said just yesterday, I overheard them saying that you can't use the Bible to prove the Bible. It seems that Jesus understood these questions were going to come up about him. And one of the interesting things, if you look at the Bible compared to all of the other holy writings in the world, the Gospels are such a public proclamation. You see, every other holy book was revealed usually to one person at a specific time in private in which an angel or their God or somehow they are given this secret knowledge. They write that down, and over a period of time, those beliefs spread. But Christianity, Jesus brought a message publicly into the public marketplace. He proclaimed truths about things that people knew in their heart were true. Things like, you have said that it's wrong to commit adultery. I say unto you, if you look on another woman with lust, that you've continued committed adultery in your heart. You have said that it's wrong to murder, and yet I say to you, if a man hates his brother, he has committed murder in his heart. And so in this scene, as they prepare to stone Jesus for the sin of blasphemy, because he proclaimed that he was God's son, he says to them, do not believe me unless I do what the Father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the things that I'm saying. Believe who I say that I am. Believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. You see, Jesus 
didn't just proclaim truth of words. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. He did all of this very publicly. The reason that we can trust the Bible is because the Bible was written by eyewitnesses who saw these things. They stood there. They walked with Jesus. They didn't understand everything. I don't understand everything. Every day that I spend time in God's truth, he reveals new things to me. Sometimes he reveals to me the darkness that's still in my soul. And guess what? Truth is seldom comfortable. And maybe that's why we don't like truth that much. Does everyone know who Chuck Colson is? I know I've talked about Chuck Colson a little bit. You remember Chuck Colson for those that I was a little kid, I remember Watergate trials and President Nixon, my dad coming home every day from work and sitting in front of the TV. It was probably one of the most, this was before, you know, we had 200 channels. So we only had three and all three of them had the same thing on. And he came home and he would eat his dinner in front of the TV. He was just so, the whole nation was, I think, captured by this, that a president, a sitting president of the United States would be put on trial. There goes that whole kind of trusting man, right, above God thing. Well, Chuck Colson was one of President Nixon's top advisors. And in fact, Chuck Colson became involved in part of the cover-up, heavily involved. And it will be in prison that Chuck Colson will come to relation. It's actually during the trial that Chuck Colson will come to a relationship with Jesus Christ will accept him as his Lord and Savior, will understand his guilt before God and his participation in untruth. He will then go on to begin something that's known as prison fellowship today in which tens of thousands of inmates have come to know the Lord. In his very last speech, Chuck Colson chose to speak about this idea of truth. For he saw what was going on, not only in our nation, but throughout the world. He chose to speak about something called the spiral of silence. It is a theory developed by a German sociologist who explains how people fear social isolation to the point that they generally go along with what they think popular opinion is even if they object to that opinion themselves. Instead of speaking up, they remain silent, and their silence encourages others to remain silent. I imagine Father Terry probably, in his pro-life work, has seen this idea really permeate our society. He goes on to say that we must break the spiral of silence when it comes to the issues that really matter. How? First, we have to have the confidence in the truth of the Christian worldview. That God created everything that is, that we are created by him and in his image. And that he has a purpose 
for each of our lives. And that ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ can be found salvation and eternal life. Not that Christian truth is true just for Christians. You see, the world is fine with that. They like that. Yeah, if that's true for you, that's fine. Just don't bother us about it. Please don't tell us about it. But it's simply true. In other words, that the Christian worldview is the best explanation of the reality as it is. When you have this sort of confidence, you know that speaking the truth is actually an act of love. Right? I would propose to you today that without truth, without the proclamation of truth, there is no repentance. Second, with that confidence, we can respect those with whom we disagree. After all, the Christian worldview establishes the most important thing about any person is not their views, but their identity as bearers of God's image. And so we respect those with whom we disagree, even as we have the courage to disagree with them. I do believe that Chuck Colson saw the turning point that we are in as a culture. I see it when I talk to those some of them young university students, some of them quite a bit older. Most of them proclaiming Christians, and yet not one of them can make a definition of the word truth. They like that lady's definition because it's so vague. It doesn't say anything. It's so comfortable, isn't it? And her voice is just so wonderful. Not like my raspy, harsh voice. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to the Father. And so no matter where we are today, where we find ourselves, what, whatever God has called us to do, I want to urge you to be a seeker after truth. To continue to ask God to reveal more and more of himself. To help us to understand what the incarnation means. What it means for us personally and what it means for the life of the world. That's why we're here today. To worship the one who created everything. And the first place is believing that he did do it. Because there are so many competing views, aren't there? I want to close with a brief quote from C.S. Lewis from a book he wrote called God in the Dock. What are we to make of Christ? There is no question of what we can make of him. It is entirely a question of what he intends to make of us. You must accept or reject the story. That really is it, isn't it? You either accept those words that the deacon read this morning, or you reject it. You either accept that not only were the words that Jesus said true, but the testimony of what he did was truth in itself. 
or you reject it. The things he says are very different from what any other teacher has ever said. Others say, this is the truth about the universe. This is the way you ought to go. But he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no man can read absolute reality except through me. Try to retain your own life, and you you will inevitably be ruined. Give yourself away, and you will be saved. He says, if you are ashamed of me, If when you hear this call, you turn the other way, I also will look the other way when I come again as God without disguise. If anything, whatever is keeping you from God and from me, whatever it is, throw it away. If it is your eye, pull it out. If it is your hand, cut it off. If you put yourself first, you will be last. Come to me, everyone, who is carrying a heavy load, and I will set that right. Your sins, all of them, are wiped out, for I can do that. I am rebirth. I am life. Eat me. Drink me. I am your food. And finally, do not be afraid, for I have overcome the whole universe. I'd like to end with this prayer written by St. Francis of Assisi. Because whether or not we're willing to admit it, each and every one of us struggles with the truth. Hopefully, we don't deny that Jesus is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. But there are things in each of our lives that we don't want to give up. In John chapter 3 and verse 19, John proclaims this is the final judgment. The light was coming into the world, but men loved darkness. They loved darkness. The world out there loves darkness. There are parts of me that love darkness, that I struggle mightily with giving up to the Lord. And so let this prayer be our prayer. I pray that God has spoken something to us in this. That we will once again not only remember that he is the way, the truth, and the life, but that we will make the conscious decision to walk in that truth. O most high and glorious God, Enlighten the darkness of my heart. And dear Lord, give me a right faith, a certain hope, and a perfect love. Lord, give me understanding and knowledge. O Lord, that I might carry out your holy and true command. Amen. Amen. Important than what you just said because this is really, this is really a spiritual battle with, uh, it's, it's our spiritual battle, the battle of the day. Uh, this whole idea, I mean, it's just, 
when you look around, it's like really crazy. Uh, there was a, a guy that was reading about that's a 52-year-old man that his truth is that uh, instead of being the 52-year-old man with seven children and a wife, his truth is that he's really a six-year-old girl. And so he left his, his wife and his seven children and lives as a six-year-old girl. The sad thing is that there's a, a couple that adopted him and believe he is a six-year-old girl and lets him play with their grandchildren. So this thing is like, it's really going crazy. The problem is that I just, I like the idea of just believing whatever I want. You know, I, I uh, got a letter from the IRS uh, Friday that said I owed them money and that they were going to confiscate my property or whatever. And so my idea is I'm going to write them back and say, I, you know, I believe I'm a Russian citizen <laughs> and uh, I'm only 12 years old and I don't have to pay you any money. So, you know, let them just deal with that. Uh, before we do the creed and uh, want to have the, uh, uh, the prayers of the people, there's certain things I really want to pray about this morning. But um, uh, if you, any of you have a word for someone else here this morning, if you got a word for somebody uh, that the Holy Spirit has put on your heart or a word for the church for, that the Holy Spirit has put on your heart, a word 